Well, take your Bibles, God's wonderful Word, and turn to the book of John. We're continuing our series of Meet Jesus. And today, uh, it's called Lunch for a Bunch. You ever heard of that before? How perfect timing did the Lord have us to get here on this day? We didn't plan this feeding of the 5,000 on the day that we're going to feed 5,000, right? Uh, we do have a big meal. The men and women have prepared for you, decorated for you, tried to make it as nice as possible. And you go, oh no, what is he talking about? We have a Thanksgiving meal here. And if you're a guest, we want you to be there and enjoy it with us. We'll keep dividing. If the Lord can break bread, we can actually cut casseroles in half. So we'll, we'll have enough for everyone. So if you're a guest, we want you to plan to eat with us right out these double doors. I'll say the blessing in here. We'll dismiss. Go straight out those doors. Get in line. The line moves really quickly. And then our senior adults will go right behind our guest. And then the rest of us will go and, and we'll have a time of fellowship. And it's fun to sit around a table. So we encourage you. Don't just crowd up with your family and your bunch. Make sure you get with somebody that you might not know that you can have a little fellowship with and thank God for another human being that you can actually share the love of Jesus with. So we're going to have that opportunity in just a little bit. Well, jumping into the Word of God today, let's jump right into chapter 6. And we're moving into verse 1. There's several things that's happened before this. Uh, the disciples, Jesus has commissioned his disciples. If you go back and read Matthew and some of the other Gospels, he's commissioned them to go out two by two, right? He's going to send them out to the nations of Israel. Go out and teach and do whatever God's called you to do. If someone receives you, then you bless that house and you stay with them, eat with them. If they won't receive you, what do you do? You knock off the dust of your feet and you keep on moving. That was what many Jews would do when they would enter Gentile territory. And when they left, they'd knock the Gentile dirt off their shoes or sandals so they wouldn't have to carry it into Jewish territory. There was a lot of uh, public relation issues back in the day between people of different ethnicities. Is that still happening today? It sounds like we're preaching today's newspaper, doesn't it? But God's Word, people's always been people. Uh, the Kunamatata Choir is here. They're, they're singing down at Warren Baptist this morning. And, and we talked about tribal things that happened in Kenya. And he says, you wouldn't believe how many people war against each other. So it doesn't matter what our ethnicity is, where the mankind's always been disagreeable, right? Some of you walk in that turkey in the Thanksgiving meal, and you'll say, I want it dark meat. All they have is what? White meat chokes me. It's so dry. Well, I'll be honest to tell you, I don't like turkey at all. But guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give thanks for the turkey, and I'm going to eat turkey with you this morning, right? Because it's been provided for us. It's something we do. It's traditions, yes. But I want to go and actually have fellowship. I care more about talking with you than I do caring about eating the meal. Now, I like to eat. You can tell, right? So when we get into today's message, I want you to see when we're talking about lunch for a bunch, many times as Americans especially, we're spoiled. We want to get the good out of something. You guys remember your first car? Who remembers their first car? <clears throat> All right, somebody just randomly shout out, Carl, what was your first car? A Volkswagen. You in a Volkswagen? Did you have to fold yourself in like this? VW Bug? I would have given a quarter to see that. All right. What year was it? All right. 67, 48 Chevrolet Bernard had. Somebody else? Tacoma. You were spoiled. You got a nice one. Anybody else? Everybody give me your. Oh, wow. That's spoiled too. Richard. A 47 Nashville. <clears throat> Y'all even know what these cars are, young people? <clears throat> Tempest. That thing will roll if you get down. It'll, it'll drive like this when you're going down high speed, right? All right, so when you get that car, I don't care if it's a hunk of junk. It's your first car. You just got your license. Your parents put you in one. <clears throat> My dad tried to embarrass me a little bit and bought a station wagon. 
big brown 72 or 74 Torino station wagon and uh, thought it was just going to be the most embarrassing thing. He said, you want, a, you want a car, you quit all those dumb sports that you're playing and get a job. Well, I happen to like sports, so I got a job and I, I play sports. But that car, he thought he was embarrassing because it was the old brown one. We called it the brown mule. It had the old cheap wood grain side on the side. It was ugly as ugly gets. But what he didn't know is a teenager don't really care what it looks like necessarily, right? If you're worried about status, I didn't hang around you too much. I wasn't a status person. I always wanted to have fun all the time. So it had the back seat in it that flipped up, big cushioned back seat. You could look backwards when you went down the road. I could put like 25 people in this thing. And the dirt roads around Aiken were made for those station wagons. So when you get that 400, you get it going, you just start slinging it side to side. Everybody's having a blast getting thrown from side to side. We crashed it, hit trees. We, we, we did burnouts. We did all kinds of different things in this thing. And my dad thought he was punishing me, but he gave me the best car ever. It's the best car I've ever owned. It was a $150 car. There was no status to it, but everybody wanted to ride in the Brown View. Isn't that right, Wendy? Even Wendy wanted to ride in the Brown View. We were dating. We would get in the Brown View and cruise because it was so much stinking fun. But after a while, when you start getting older, what do you do? All of our cars we can name. So man, you start, the television tells you there's a new car out. Some of your friends get a different style of car. Something else happens. And what you start doing is you start looking at what you have and say, mine's not as good as that. And society tells you you got to have that, right? You got to upgrade. You got to get new. You got to get better. And what happens after a while, you start looking at your car or your stuff and you say, well, mine's not as good as that. And you start comparing. Have y'all seen? I just got a new iPhone 14. Have y'all seen the 14s? Anybody seen the 14s yet? Anybody have a 13? You got a 7? Man, you're out of date, Bo. Okay, there is no 14. I just wanted to get you like, what's up? He got a 14 before everybody else heard about it. There's no 14. There's a 13 out right now. There's no 14. Just got you, see? Some of you are thinking, hmm, I got to get that one. We'll do it in every relationship. We'll date a girl or a guy, get the best out of a relationship, and break up. We'll, we'll do it in a marriage. People will get the best out of the relationship the younger years. I, I told a story of when, when I left to go on a med cruise when I was in the Navy. Wendy was... This skinny lady, little bump that she was pregnant. I get back and she's fully involved, as as, as they say, with the with the child. I got back just a week or two before Alex was born. She wasn't the same lady that I left, right? But no one told me. Nobody sat me down and said, "Hey, when a lady gets pregnant, these things happen," right? Now I'm still thankful. And I love her. She was still a hottie to me and attracted to her just as much. But when I got back, she was different. I get back, baby is born. I walk around with Alex this big, walk around. I was not a very good dad. I carried him like a football. And then when I go to the uh, Caribbean cruise, drug ops, I come back and I got this big bundle of youngin. Like, who's this kid is this? She says, it's your son. I left, he was this big. So when your time has a way of messing with you, if you're not careful, and you can say, well, I want it back, I want it back the way it was. I want, it, I want to go relive that. And that's what happens to so many people especially in our society today, because we want the next thing. We want the next best thing because so-and-so has it or he has it. I deserve it. And we've become professional victims in our society, have we not? I want to tell you something today. There, there's, listen, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through today, there's a God who loves you and wants to see you succeed. He's God. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. What does he want in your life? 
He wants the best for your life. Now, you will suffer because the Bible says this has been appointed to us as Christians to suffer. But as long as he suffers with us, right, the suffering king goes through it with us, what can harm us? And we'll talk about some of the scriptures today. Jeremiah is going to shout it out from scripture. What is impossible for God? And we can shout this morning, nothing. So I'm going to ask you more than one time about a lunch for a bunch. We know this story of feeding 5,000. And Matthew even gives us another clip shot in here that's more than 5,000. Let's read together in John chapter 6 to get the scripture under our belts, and then we'll jump into it. After these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. So if you see those two names, that's the Sea of Galilee. Then a great multitude followed him. How many followed him? Don't, get, don't miss this. How many followed him? Why would a great multitude follow him? Well, if we keep reading, we'll find out, right? And we know that when the Passover comes, what happens to the Passover? This is something we talked a couple weeks ago. When it's Passover season, what, what happens to every Jewish male? He has to come to Jerusalem. They start making their journey long before the day of Passover, so they have to make the journey in. So people stay with cousins, aunts, uncles. They find a place to stay. Any place, any place to stay, they try to find, and they move in. The, then, verse 2, Then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude, we'd say a crowd, coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii, our 200 days wages, if 200 people wouldn't work all day, we can't feed these people. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them might have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here, a small boy, who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. And now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in numbering, number of 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come in the world. And the prophet, if you see, some people say he was a prophet. Some people say he was the Messiah. Same terminology if you go to the Old Testament. Jesus was the prophet like Moses coming. He was the Redeemer Messiah that was coming. So when you see the word capitalized prophet, if you have a New King James Bible, it was referring to the Messiah, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. The people recognized that he was the one that was to come. Now we know there's a man who's been preaching that he was the one that is to come. He said, he is the one that is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who was that? That man's name was John the Baptist. Now if you go in the other Gospels, you'll find that John the Baptist has just lost his head. He's just been beheaded on the, on the account of his preaching. You think people sometimes don't like preachers? Well, they really didn't like John the Baptist. They beheaded him. They really didn't like Jesus, the preacher, the prophet, the king, because they crucified him. Anytime you're preaching the truths of God's word, people will turn against you. 
That's probably one of the most disappointing things as a pastor. We talk about people using the, getting the good stuff out of, of life. The people that you help the most or the people that need the most help, and we put people and resources together, are the very people who will take those resources, those good things, that good counsel, that good situation, that good car, that good house, and they will take it and use the good out of it. When they're tired of it, they'll turn away and walk away. It broke my heart as I saw something this week on Facebook. Someone had turned away from what I believe is a very demonic-based uh, organization, and I'll just go ahead and tell you who it is. I believe the Masonic Lodge is very demonic, and you can agree with me or disagree with me. You might be a Mason this morning, and you can fire that'll fire you up more than anything. But let's have a conversation. If you walk into any place, if you walked in this morning, and you had to come down front and bow to me as worshipful master. Do you think there's an issue you would have this morning? Anybody have an issue bowing to me when I'm sitting on a chair that call, and you have to call me worshipful master? That is a religion. And we'll go into deeper, deeper dives. We've studied uh, the Masonic Lodge and, and those associated with it. But I want to tell you this morning, if that offends you, good. God might be stirring something in you. But I saw this week uh, one of my friends who went back to it. They let, got out of it because they agreed that it was demonic. And this week went back into it. I, I saw a picture of them going back into it. Broke my heart. And it was, went right along with the message. Just give me the good stuff of religion. Give me the good stuff of the church and when I'm tired of it, I'm going back to the old ways. These people were the very same way. Give me the food. Hey, he's healing the sick. He's giving free lunch. Guess what I'm going to do? They're following the food truck, right? It's free. And they're following the medical clinic. It's free. People are doing it today. Give me the best. Give me the free. Watch what happens. Go to your notes if you have a bulletin today. Every miracle in the Bible is a message from God. Would you agree? If you don't, you're wrong, okay? Because every message, every miracle is a message from God. God's trying to tell us something. When we see a miracle, we just can't say the feeding of the 5,000. Wow, that was nice. Jesus fed a bunch of people. He just broke bread. It's a miracle in and of itself, but he was trying to show something to the people of Israel. I am the prophet. I am the Messiah. I am God among you. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus challenges us, even today, to believe in the miracles so we may trust how? In him. Remember what he said to those rulers of the Pharisees? He said, listen, if you don't believe my words, at least trust the miracles that I do that you know that the Father has sent me. We can see the miracles and say, I don't believe in miracles. That's what the Sadducees said. The Pharisees believed in miracles. They believed in afterlife, every eternal life. They believed in angels. The Sadducees said, this is it, once and done. Ride this pony one time, you turn to dirt when you die, the end. They believe God spun this world on, in order and then left it to go. So many people are teaching and preaching that today. But I want to tell you, God is still on his throne today. God is still in charge on this earth today. And the reason we don't have is because we don't ask him. We've gotten the good out of something and said, listen, religion let me down. Religion will let you down every single day of the year. Church will let you down every single day of the year. You know why? Because church is not something, it's people. And people are sinful people. Yes, we're redeemed by the blood of God, right? By the blood of the Lamb. But we're sinful people. We like to look at our certain videos. We like to listen to our certain music and say, oh, that won't hurt anybody. It's just me doing it. We like to drink a little nip once in a while so that we can actually just calm our nerves, right? Just about every song you listen to, secular uh, music tells you, just have a little. Just calm your nerves. But I want to tell you, your nerves get rattled more and more and more. And what has to happen when your nerves get rattled? If you turn to the bottle or to, uh, to, uh, to uh, drugs, you turn to sexual relationships, whatever you turn to, you're going to have more of it as the days go by because the days are evil, the Bible says, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, or 1 Timothy chapter 3. Go back and look at the notes, back to your notes. Jesus showed 
He indeed is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide, not only through this miracle, but providing salvation to all who would believe in him through his death, burial, and resurrection. You remember Abraham, when he took his boy up into the mountain, right? What's he going to do? God said, sacrifice him. He goes up. Isaac's dead. Where's the, where's the, uh, where's the lamb? God will provide. Jehovah Jireh. Did God provide? Just as Abraham went to strike his son, what happens? Abraham, stop. Now God had seen that Abraham was faithful. Did God know Abraham was faithful? Yes, he did. But he, did Abraham know Abraham was faithful? No, he didn't. Not until the time of testing. Could you kill your own son, your own daughter? Could you slay them like an animal? Abraham had enough faith to go and do what God said to do because in his heart he believed if I kill the boy, God's going to resurrect him because God promised me multiple children, as many as sands of the, of the seashore, as many stars in heaven. God's made the promise, so therefore I'm going to do what God says to do. Abraham had to prove to Abraham that Abraham was worthy to serve the living God. Now where are you today? God's not asking you to kill your kids, so don't go sacrifice your youngins because if you do that, it's called murder. Right? We call it abortion today. Many people say you have that right to do that, mama, young girls. You don't have that right. That's a life that God made in the womb. That is not your prerogative to take a life. That's called murder. And God's going to hold you accountable for that. And all the many people that, that are saying, listen, well, our team, my president, my vice president, whomever, whatever team you want to play for, whatever stripe you want to call, listen, if you abort a baby, it's murder. And when you endorse a person who endorses that, you endorse murder. You say, well, I don't have many good choices. Then run for office yourself. Then put yourself in that place. Then find someone, find a group of people who will find someone and say, this person will represent us. Look what happens here. I want you to see this. this is pretty exciting stuff. The large crowd there on your notes followed Jesus because they had seen the signs, the testing miracles, which he continually performed on those who were sick. If you go look at the other Gospels, it says he continually does miracles. He continues to teach the people. He's not doing just this one thing because we read an isolated situation here. We'll see, lo and behold, Jesus has fed the 5,000. That's not all he did. Jesus fed the 5,000, but Jesus also taught the 5,000, and Jesus also healed the 5,000. Which is greater, to feed 5,000 from a Lunchable, you'll see that in your notes, or to actually heal 5,000 people or those that are needed and healed? Which is greater? Answer is... Neither. Both are miracles. If somebody has cancer today and Jesus walks by and touches you or speaks to you and your cancer's healed, is that a miracle? Yes. It doesn't matter what you have need of today. If something that only God can do, doctor says, hey, it's done too late. We can't do anything else. We're, we're, we've exhausted our resources. We can't think any greater. Uh, there's nobody else, no technology. There's some experimental stuff happening. But, but as far as we're concerned, we're done. Once you finally get to the end of yourself and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, can he do a work? He said, well, Pastor, are you saying that God will heal me? I'm telling you, God will heal you. You say, well, I've known someone who prayed for healing and they died. They're healed. Amen? Absent from the body for a Christian is to be what? Present with the Lord. That's the commitment that we have to the Lord. So we look at it from God's point of view. Well, Pastor, you don't know my situation. And I want to tell you, I don't know your situation. Okay? Even if you tell me your story, I won't know your situation. But what I do know is what the Bible says about the God that we serve. Jesus was not only feeding the 5,000 physically, he's touching them spiritually, and he's touching them, listen, emotionally, every point that they could need, they'd come to Jesus with. 
Jesus moved away from the crowd. Look at your notes to the mountaintop. He took time to fellowship with his father and his disciples. How do you know? Went back and read Matthew 14, 13 through 21, Mark 6, 30 through 44, and Luke 9, 10 through 17. I gave those into your notes at the top of the at the top of your notes if you took the notes. Some of you didn't take the notes. So guess what? I'm not giving them to you on the screen anymore. I'm tired of looking at people like this. Praise God from whom all blessings. You don't give two hoots about the blessings of God or praising God. You say, well, don't judge me. The Bible says judge not, at least you be judged by the same measure by which you judge. And the Bible says if you see your brother with a speck in his eye and you got a two before, get the two before out of your own eye so that you can see to get the speck out of your brother's eye. We have work to do as a church. And listen, we'd rather come and sit, soak and sour than we had to get up, praise God, and go serving. We're fighting like crazy now, people in the nursery. There's people all over our church that come and say, listen, I, I, I feel led for this. This is an old Baptist term. If you're not used to Baptist church, you got to start out with, I feel led. Okay? That means I'm thinking about serving, but I'm not sure. And if, and if you want to quit something, you say, I don't feel. Come on, try it. I feel, if you want to do it, and I don't feel led if I'm not going to do it, Right? I've already made my mind up. God didn't tell me that. I just made my mind up, and I call it the leading of God, okay? Don't blame God for you quitting or starting. And please don't start a ministry that you're not qualified to do. Don't get involved. Don't be a teacher if you're not saved. So many people want to get behind the pulpit. They want to be seen. They want to, they want to, they want to sing up front. So many people want to get, and I got a good voice too. You might have the most excellent voice and a rotten spirit, and you will kill a worship service quicker than anything. It'll sound good. But there'll be nothing to it. It'll be dust. It'll be a vapor. It'll go away. As soon as you walk off the stage, so will that praise. And nothing went up. The Lord's like, you got to fix that. And you say, what is that? And that's the sin in our lives. These people wanted the good stuff from Jesus. They wanted to use it out. They were not thankful people. They were happy people because the happenstance that what's happening right now makes me happy. But they were not joyful people. The disciples were joyful. Remember, they just come off this big mission trip they said, Lord, we were healing people in the name, your name. We were casting out demons in your name. They were exhausted. I'm going to tell you as a pastor and as a teacher, every time you give yourself away, every time you preach a message through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're exhausted. You, you feel like you've worked all day, and, and then, then suddenly Satan will attack you. Most preachers will get the biggest dose of depression are teachers right after a service. And the most spiritual services, you'll go out and the devil will attack. And it happens to me. It happens to everybody that, that, that brings forth the word of God. You say, well, I don't, I don't see that in the Bible. How about Elijah? Mount Carmel, he's up there, calls down fire from heaven, destroys 450 prophets of Baal. And what does he do? One woman said, I'm going to kill you because you killed my prophets. And what does he do? He runs and hides. Because he's hungry, he's spiritually depleted, he's had a supernatural event happen in his life. It took all the faith and strength that he had, and now he's a mere man, because James says he's a man like you and me. You know, see what I'm saying? And he had needs, and he had emotions, and he hides away, and God said, what are you doing here? But what did God do? That's why we have angel food cake now, right? The angel baked him some bread, and he ate it. And then what did he do? You hadn't read your Bible in a long time, have you? He ate it and he fell asleep. And then he woke up and the angel fixed him another one. He ate it and guess what he did? Good guess, he fell asleep. He needed rest. 
It took all of his energy to go out. A.W. Tozer talks about us getting away. If, if we're stressed and, and we need to get away and fall, and, and fall into the, the rest area, if not, we'll fall apart, right? How many of you like the vacation? Who likes the vacation? Raise your hand. I can't stand the vacation. I love being with my family. I love eating. But I'm thinking of 5,000 things I need to do at work. I've never taken a two-week vacation. This year, this summer, I'm taking a two-week vacation. You hear me, Wendy? Two weeks. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Because it takes me about five, six days to get to recover from vacation. Because we were trained to be workaholics. Get it done. Got, got work to do. I don't know how to vacation well. We were all raised that way. My brother, Steve, was probably the best vacationer. He knows how to do it. He just does it. Anybody a bad vacationer? Raise your hand if you're bad at it. Terrible. I, I was never taught how to vacation, how to relax, how to take time off. But every relationship, every human needs time away. Just even if it's a short time. And when, when the baby came, I used to think, well, I heard this after I became a Christian. I'm like, Wendy needs some time without this kid. Because children will suck the air out of you, right? They'll suck the life out of you. It's always more, more, more. There's never thank you, right? Until someone tells them to say thank you. It's always gimme, 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 gimme. And so I decided I would work 12 and 13, 14-hour days, come home, and I would say, tonight's my night. I'm getting up with the, with the kid. And Alex would get up screaming. I'm like, oh, dear God, if you could send an angel to shut his mouth. Because I don't have a bottle. I don't have anything just rocking. And Wendy's like, you need to rock him like this. Yeah, not when you're stressed out. You want to rock him like this. But it's my son, so what do you do? You express love. So husbands, let me tell you something. Give your wives a break. Sometimes she needs some me time, all right? And especially ladies, you guys are emotional. You think about things. You internalize things. Whereas most guys, it's just external. It bounces and goes. Yes, we'll have our feelings hurt occasionally. Yes, we'll think about some things. But for the most part, we, we just it bounces and goes. And y'all think about something. You remember 1953 when you said, right? Is, am I telling the truth? You get into a relationship, you'll find God made the woman to internalize. She's mother. Where do the kids go when they need a Band-Aid? Many times they run to their mother. And a quick hug and a fake Band-Aid on a fake boo-boo fixes everything. And so many times, what do we do as dads? I don't know how you were. I'd suck it up, son. Just a little blood. Lick it. Y'all ever do that? Who, who does that so you don't, I don't feel like I'm weird this morning? Anybody else tell your kids just to lick their blood? Anybody else? Thank you, Adrian. Right. That's not good company. I don't know what I'm doing there. So Jesus got away to the mountaintop with his disciples. He got away with his father. And you'll see later next week, he's going to send them off in the boat. And all these miracles are going to start happening. Remember, John the Baptist has now been decapitated. He's dead. And so Jesus' ministry, if you will, goes into overdrive. Now you'll see the Passover was so near, uh, so the crowds began to swell. Jesus looked up and saw that a large crowd was coming toward him, and he tested Philip. Now, brothers and sisters, you might be going through a time of testing, but he tested Philip and said to him, where will we buy bread for these people to eat? What's he doing while he's testing Philip? Because they're saying, if you go to Matthew, you go to Mark, it says Jesus took them away to a deserted place. Now, what sea are they on? If you go back to verse 1, you'll know where they are. Where are they? Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. So it's a small lake, really. It's not a sea. You can see around the other side. So when they got in the boat to go to the other side, the crowd saw him. So they just took Route 11 all the way around the lake and got to the same place where Jesus was. They met him there. His intention was to get away. You say, well, how do you know that? Go back and read the other Gospels. You'll see what the other Gospels record. 
the task. Here's what the task was. Where do we buy people buy bread for these people to eat? He was testing Philip. Now, Philip's been on mission. He's seen demons cast out. He's seen the woman at the well. He heard that conversation we just went through. He heard so many different things uh, from Jesus. He saw miracles happen. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. He's even heard what Peter's uh, proclamation is. Philip's there. But Philip, you know, we always call, uh, we look at Thomas and we call, what do we call Thomas? He has a nickname in the church today and he shouldn't have it. Doubting Thomas. I say it's Doubting Philip. Because what does Philip say? Lord, how are we going to feed all these people? If 200 people gave us their lunch money, their full day's work, we still can't feed this many people. And it, that's why I think it's, most commentaries think what Matthew says. Go back and look what Matthew says. Matthew chapter, because you need to know this, Matthew chapter 14. Because all four gospels, all four gospel writers tell this story. I think that's the only story we have in common except for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is that important to all the men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. Matthew 14, 13. When you're there, say amen. Let me just read it again. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out and he saw a great multitude, and he, he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. So here's the question. Why did Jesus heal their sick? Come on, why did he heal them? Because we talked about every time we preach, even if we're preaching, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Everything about the nature of God is what? Love. He's the God of love. He is love. And everything that he does is out of compassion. When he's testing Philip, what is he testing with? Out of, I should say. Out of love for Philip. He wants to show Philip something. So why is he healing the people? Because he has compassion on them. He knows some of these very people will be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And just in the few uh, time he has left with them. And when Jesus saw the multitude, he had compassion on them, he healed them. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. Why is it a deserted place? Because the Lord told them to come to a deserted place. Does it sound like the Lord set this whole thing up? Wait a minute. He's taking his disciples to a place, to a no man's land, where everybody can see around the lake. He knows the crowd's coming because he's God. Did God orchestrate this deserted place, even when he created the heavens and the earth, did he know this deserted place would be there on the lake? Wait a minute, we got a God now who has a God who plans and prepares, amen? Did he know that the disciples would be there in the boat? Did he know the crowds would come? With all their infirm people, did he know? We have a God who knows. And he knew there was no other choice for them. What was the other choice they had? What was the choice of the crowds? If it gets lunchtime, we preach through, get it close to 12, what happens to people? I'm getting hungry. We're going to step out. We're going to just, just step out real quick and get something to eat. Right? Because our stomachs override our spirit sometimes. God had a plan for these people. There was nowhere to go. And what was he saying? I'm trying to show you I am the prophet. I am the Messiah. I am here to redeem Israel. I've, came, I've come to redeem Israel. It's a redemption story. He brings them away to this deserted place. They say, Lord, we're in this deserted place. They state the obvious. And then when it happens, when it was evening, his disciples said, this is a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
And they said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish. We have, if you will, a lunchable. He said, bring them to me. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down. And if you read the other accounts of Mark and Luke, he tells them to sit down in order. Because you know what? God's a God of order. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish. And he looked up to heaven. And he blessed and broke it and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples gave to the multitudes. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Verse 21 is very important for us. That's why we read this passage. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. When Jesus told his disciples, and then when he even gave a commandment back in in the Genesis, when a man gets married, he should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Leave and cleave. What happens is too many men are running home to daddy or mama and say, Mama, she said she hurt my feelings. And girls are doing the same, ladies are doing the same thing. Mama, mama, mom, what do you think I should do? Don't ask your mama. Get a godly advice from somebody else at church. Get into a counseling situation with godly advice because your mama's always going to take your side. Amen? He said, no, my mom, she loves my wife or my husband better than me. That might be true, but listen, that's where the saying comes, blood is thicker than, and your married spouse is the water. Understand? Mama's always going to take your spot 98% of the time, unless you were an awful person. And even then, she'll find a reason why you're awful and say, but compared to the devil, he's a saint. Right? Be careful that we follow the progress of what the Lord does for his disciples. Leave your father and mother in the beginning. You are to procreate, have children. And so the Jews believe that. So did they have just one child? No, there was always, listen, even, the, even the, the custom was to have multiple children, as many children as God would bless you with in abundance. So here when he's feeding the 5,000 men plus women, how many women if they're all married? 5,000 plus 5,000 is 10,000. If they had one child apiece, which was not likely, that's 15,000. If they had four children apiece, somebody want to do that quick math? Mike, potentially 30,000 people needing to be fed in a deserted place. It was impossible. But with God, all things are what? Possible. This is what the Lord said, and this is what was said of the Lord when Mary gave birth, a virgin gave birth to the Son, Jesus Christ. Let me finish quickly. The task was humanly impossible. Philip, mark this in your notes. Philip calculated the cost of feeding the people, but he left Jesus out of the equation. Jesus was the variable that would fix it all. But he was like, Lord, he had his little calculator. Lord, how many, we do this, how many times do we do this in the church today? Uh, we would love to minister to that community. We just don't have the resources. Agents heading up a missions out to, to help the homeless. And so many people in our church even this morning said, listen, Pastor, you know somebody needs food at Thanksgiving. Let us know. We'll help them. Just make a note of that. Because our church wants to serve the community, we want to serve in Jesus' name. But we can't serve ghosts. He said, well, I don't know anybody needs help. That means you're not out in the community. Or you're not... Sharing the love of Christ at work. There's people who are working poor. Let me say that again. There's people that are working poor. They have nothing for Thanksgiving coming up. They have nothing for Christmas. They have no expectations. Let me challenge you, if you know those people, to let us know. And in Jesus' name, we'll help them. But we're going to not just give them groceries. We're going to give them the gospel. Just like Jesus. Jesus didn't just feed these people and say, go away. Did he? He fed them and then he told him. He taught them. That's one of the, the disciples are very clear to tell us. That he taught the people. What was he teaching the people? 
There is a way to live, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus never wasted the time just to feed people. So we won't do just these community feed programs without sharing the gospel. It's useless. It's pointless. That's what the welfare department does in the government. Here, feed for free, no strings attached. We don't do that. We have strings attached. Our strings are, we want to give you the bread of life. We want to introduce you to the living water. We want you to live forever. And then let's go out and help somebody else. You don't have to be rich to help somebody else. You don't have to be poor to help somebody else either. Every human who cares, who has compassion like our Father, should be helping one another. And we have a way as a church, as a community, to do it through our pantry and through our missions here. Philippians 4.19 and 20. Do you know what it says? And my God shall supply all of your need, not your wants, according to his riches where? In glory. Where's his riches in glory? It's in your wallet. It's in your checking account. That's where his riches and glory are. But uh, you, some of you look at me like you're shocked. Do you own what you have? It was a gift from God. And we've done it so many times. Take a deep breath. It's a gift of God. Your ability to work, it's a gift of God. Everything that you have is a gift from a Heavenly Father. All good gifts come from a Heavenly Father above. You say, but I work for it. Who gave you the ability to work? God. Your marriage? You got the good out of it yet? We've been married 32 years next week. And it's getting better and better all the time. All the time. Getting closer and closer. I think we even start to look like each other, except for our haircuts. I'm just kidding, baby. Let's finish this up. This is, listen, if you don't get anything, get this today. Jesus showed the disciples and the crowds there is no problem too big for Jesus to solve. Do we believe this? What's big for God? Come on, what's big for God? So your problem, your itch, issue, your financial status, your health, what's too big for God? Okay, let me ask you the other side. What's too small for God? That's why we carry all things to God in prayer. Amen? We sing about it. We read about it. We preach about it. But we don't exercise it. We say, yeah, but, and our fingernails are gone because we're digging down wondering how is God going to do this if God don't do this soon. And we think you should do it today. And like Philip, God might be testing you. He's going to do it this afternoon. But you don't get it when you ask for it. And when you do it in your way, he's going to let you go ahead Figure it out. You figure it out. Go ahead and throw all your mess at it. All your education, all your background, what your family says, what your family tradition is, what your church does. Y'all just go ahead. Now, Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Well, we ain't got enough food. Andrew said, well, there is, there's, we got a Lunchable back here. A Lunchable for 30,000 people. That changed your mind about looking at the fish? This boy, it was his lunch. What do you do when you ask a kid for their lunch? I do it all the time here at school. Let me have some of that lunch. And they're like, Pfft. right? <laughs> this is what the Lord's asking of you and me. What are you doing with your resources? Pfft. Lord, I got a $700 a month car payment. I can't give to the church. I got a mortgage. I can't give to the church. I can't give to any work of the Lord. I don't have anything to spare. It might be time for you to sell that expensive car. It might be time for you to downsize your house. God loves a cheerful giver, but listen, he loves a cheerful giver. And many people in this society are not givers whatsoever. Not of time, not of talent, not of resources because it's mine. Not God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's me, myself, and I. That's the trinity in so many people's lives in America. 
what pleases me, what serves me, me first. And then if I got some left over, I'll help out. Let me throw a bone out there for him. God said I will be first. He will not be second. He will never be second. Let me finish to give you the blanks. Jesus solved the problem, he, but he used people. He used Philip, the boy, with a lunch, Andrew, and the rest of the disciples. Jesus took, and I told you before, a lunchable, and it should be in fed. I put feed. I was so hurried when I was excited about this. 5,000 to 20,000 people. Jeremiah 32, 17. Jeremiah asked the question, what is impossible for you, God? And the answer is rhetorical. Nothing is impossible with God. All four Gospels record the miracle. Jesus' ministry was on purpose and in order. And finally, Jesus always blesses in abundance. The people ate until they were full, the Bible says. Didn't have a snack. This wasn't a snackable, right? Jesus turned into a full-blown lunch for these people. You think the little boy got to eat lunch? Because he ain't mentioned again. You think Jesus took the boy's lunch and didn't feed the boy? You say, Pastor, that's a foolish question. Well, that's how you live, isn't it? You think the Lord's going to take your lunch and not give you anything in return? If, if I give this away to the Lord, he might keep it. Here's good news today. He might keep it because you don't need it. I'm not going to don't raise your hand. Please don't raise your hand. So many people, I see self-storage going up all over Aiken. People have so much stuff in abundance, they're having to rent somewhere else to put their junk. Their garages are full, their attics are full, their basements are full, and then they're renting storage all over town because they have this stuff they haven't touched in six, seven, eight years. But Lord, I, I would give it away, but I might be able to use this sometime in the future. Let me tell you, if you ain't touched it in the last 30 days, you probably need to give it away. You need to start saying, Lord, what do I need to clean house? What do I need to do? Man, I am a selfish person. Now, some of you are givers. I know some of you. Y'all are loving givers, as unto the Lord. But some of you, as we say when we were kids, shawawa. That means... People wait till they were full. The Bible writers record 12 extra baskets of food were left over after everyone finished eating. And here's the question. Do you have a problem today? We all have problems. All God's children got problems. Amen? Some of some, The Lord might be testing you to send you through those problems so that you'll respond that he might receive the glory. Remember what he said? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How can you bring him glory if you're not doing your work? You were saved by faith through his grace, but saved unto good works. You got work to do. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Are you doing the work? James says, don't say, hey, brother, you got to be well fed and warm. God bless you. And don't do anything about it. He says, you have faith in God? Great. Even the demons have faith. Because guess where they used to live? In heaven, before they got kicked out because they followed Satan. So the, really and truly, demons have more faith than Christians today in our society. Some Christians, not all. And you got to move from being just, hey, I'm born again, got my ticket to being a disciple of Christ. I will follow him if it costs me my life. I told you we were in China, and the Tibetan priest came up and told us, do not speak his name anywhere on this mountain. And we were way up in the mountains. I couldn't even breathe. It's like needles in my chest. And the missionary... Casey, country boy, says, hey, Bo. He calls everybody Bo. Hey, Bo. He said if we preached his name in this mountain, uh, we're going to regret it. And he had the right to take our lives. And I said, you tell him. <laughs> we're in a creek up to our knees in mud. We're making biofilter systems for fresh water for the people down the bottom of the mountain. And I said, you tell him. I traveled halfway around the world to come tell his people about Jesus Christ. I came here to live for Christ 
And I came here to die for Christ. So if he takes my life, he's going to know he's taking my life in Jesus' name. He said, man, we're going to get us killed. I said, tell him what I said, exactly what I said. And so Casey, big, tall, six-foot-three guy says, he's speaking some language I don't understand. And I'm praying, Lord, Holy Spirit, move. I don't know what you're going to do, but <laughs> I might be seeing you in just a few minutes personally, right? Uh, but if not, do some change in this man's life. And the Tibetan priest had all these robes on, and he, he goes, and he says something really fast. He points to us. I thought it was going to be execution on our platform that we were building out of brick. We'd already laid a foundation in the creek. We had to divert the creek. It was a mess, muddy everywhere. And I said, what did he say, Casey? And he said, you were terrible masons. I said, you tell him, this is for his people. If he can do better, and they were very good masons, you can do better. You can get down here and do it yourself. This is for your people. And I'm pointing like this, and he says, you're going to get us killed. I said, tell him, tell him. So he tells him, and the man goes, Phew. he takes this huge robe off. I mean, beautiful robe, hangs it up in, the, on the, in a tree. He rolls his little girl stockings that he had on up, and he rolled them all up to his hip. He got down, and started. he knocked all of our brick down, and he started laying brick one at a time. I said, now, Casey, tell him about Jesus. Tell him from creation, fall of man, all the way through the resurrection. Don't leave out anything. Get busy. And I'm praying like crazy. So I'm saying to everybody, I'm praying. We're on top of the mountains. We're in the Himalayan mountains. I can't breathe. I'm like, Lord, please come, Lord Jesus, come. I wish you would have killed us because I can't breathe. And we're laying brick, and I'm breathing like this. Lord, save this joker's soul, right? Save his heart and soul. He invited us, the, the priest washed off in the creek. We finished the biofilter. We finished the fresh water. They got fresh water by the mountain. He invites us to his house, and the people of the, of the area didn't speak, obviously, English, and they thought he was going to kill us because no one gets invited to his house. And he gave all of us different names that were there with him, some strong Chinese names for their culture. My son, Alex, who was redheaded with red beard, he was building greenhouses on the other mountain, and he called him the son of the blessed one. And they said, he gave him a high title. That's just under his title. And then he called me forward, and he said, you are the blessed one. And I'm like, what does that even mean? I, I don't appreciate culture. And the people said, he gave you the same title as him. And then two weeks later, I got it in my office, a picture. This Tibetan priest gave his heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ and was baptized in one of those high lakes. It was the most blessed thing that I could ever have out of it that lives were changed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to live for him today, you're certainly not willing to die for him. You don't want to give him your lunch because he might use it. But do you think Jesus fed that little boy? Not only did he have one little basket of lunch, he had 12 baskets left over. All the disciples had enough to eat. Everyone had enough to eat. But what you doing with your lunch today? You got lunch for a bunch? You got lunch just for yourself? You got it. You know what you have. You have it. It's yours. Will you give it to the Lord today? That's the question. Let's pray. Father God, we know lives change when the gospel is presented. And Father, we know that you were trying to show these people through food and through healing that you are the Messiah, that you are God on earth, God with us, Emmanuel. Father, we know it, we preach it, we teach it through Christmas, through Easter. Father, do we truly believe it? If it's a true message for us, Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts that we do have a lunch today, Lord, lunch for a bunch to take out, that you might use that little bitty what we have or that light that we have. And Lord, you'd use it in It'll be recorded in history, heaven history, forever. We know the Bible's not being written still. It has been written. But history, heaven's history is still being recorded 
today. We give here and now, but Lord, as we give, we're putting up treasures in heaven because you tell us there's rewards awaiting us. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ we have the ability to do this. We believe, we stand here today and tell you that we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, to take away our sins, that he really was buried in that borrowed tomb three days, and on the third day he rose again to be our everlasting Savior. Praise your holy name. If there's someone in this room today or someone watching by video, Lord, has never, ever received Christ. I pray today is the day of salvation. And what little or what greatness we have, Lord, our lunch is yours to have. Lord, we give this to you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.